Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. So I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries, your summer stories. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real, the seventh podcast in the Your Summer Stories series. Our guest host, Nola Wallace, and the charming Joanna Nell chat about her heartwarming and hilarious new novel, The Tea Ladies of St Jude's Hospital. Enjoy. You're a very interesting woman. Um, I've done a little bit of research on you uh, for today. And uh, you're born in the UK. Well, I sort of detected that from your um, speaking voice. And uh, how long have you been in Australia? Uh, my husband uh, told me we were coming for a year in, in 2003. He, he'd been offered a secondment with his job and I had two very small children, in fact a baby and a toddler at the time, and I thought it might be fun to go for a year. And of course, uh, like many, we, we never went back. We, we loved it so much and my children have grown up here. Yes, yeah. So I imagine that you would, you would, I mean, if you're going to stay that long, you're going to have to like the place, aren't you? You know, you can't sort of say, well, I'll get on a bus and go home. <laughs> That's right. I think it was the, it, it's the light and the space and, yeah. and, and nature. Um, but of course, at the moment, it, it feels an awful long way from my, from my family. But yes. um, there hasn't, it hasn't been a bad place to spend the last 18 months. That's for sure. Oh, that's good. I'm so pleased about that. And you've also had, uh, I've read one of your books, though, for the life of me, I can't remember it. It's the, um, the uh, Jacaranda, the single ladies of the Jacaranda Retirement Village. I must have read it a while back because, I mean, I do a lot of reading, but I really love the tea ladies of St Jude's Hospital. I think mainly because it reminds me of so many different organisations or uh, uh, groups that I've been involved with. Yes, so where did you, what, what made you think of to do the tea ladies? Um, look, this, um, this book, yes, in, in a way, I think each of the books I write have been a sort of a love letter in some way, a, a tribute to a particular group yes. of maybe unsung heroes. And, and this one, of course, is to, to the many people who volunteer. In fact, while I was sort of researching this book, I discovered that a Apparently, six million Australians volunteer every year. That's a third of people over 15. So there's a lot of people who will perhaps in different forms, uh, you know, recognise these sort of organisations which are run on, on goodwill. Um, the actual inspiration for this story, unlike other books which have been inspired by works of art or Archibald Price finalists that have inspired my protagonist, this one actually was inspired by an unscheduled trip back to a hospital where I trained back in the um, 80s, uh, the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford. And this was actually the last time we went back to visit family Christmas 2019. Remember that before yeah. the world changed? Yes. And my, uh, my son, who's 21, uh, um, had been complaining about a sore elbow over Christmas and, and poor thing like the children of 
medics uh, and nurses will, will recognise that he didn't get very much sympathy until he showed me on New Year's Eve and really it was clear we needed to get him to hospital, get him some <laughs> antibiotics. So we had a trip off to the John Radcliffe. I hadn't been in this hospital for 30 years and part of me was really interested and, and, and pleased to see that it hadn't really changed and particularly the League of Friends which is the little volunteer run tea shop which um, not only sort of keeps the hospital running in terms of caffeine and, and, and sugar had been serving tea and buns for you know since the hospital opened uh, many many years ago but also raised a significant amount of money for different projects uh, equipment and services in the hospital and, and I was really heartened by this but as we walked out with my son's prescription, we walked past where they were doing some building work and renovating the hospital. And I noticed that there was a big chain, one of these big sort of coffee chains, big coffee had opened mm. up in the, in the entrance. And there, were, there was sort of a queue out of the door of people lining up for their, uh, you know, their exotic coffees and takeaway sandwiches and, and cakes and things. And I was suddenly really, really worried that the tea ladies who ran the League of Friends were, you know, were, were sort yes. of their, their custom was being taken away. And so, you know, just to prove that inspiration can come from absolutely <laughs> anywhere, if you sort of hear suddenly the whole novel just sort of popped into my head as, as we left the hospital. Oh, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Because you've, the people in it, particularly Hilary and Joy and Chloe, I mean, they're all people that I recognise. And I, I love the fact that Joy is clumsy and she's always running late uh, and yet she has such an enthusiasm for life, really, when you consider what she's going through with her husband, with Len. And I loved Len, even though he's not there. I just fell in love with Len and with Hilary and Nancy. That reminded me so much of my mother and her elder sister. The elder sister was the control freak and, uh, and my mum used to succumb. So that sort of revised memory for me. And, and what about Ethel? Now, where did you get the idea for Ethel? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sort of give away who Ethel or what yes. Ethel is really. But Ethel, also known as Ethelred the Unready, yes. um, is uh, <laughs> perhaps listen to this podcast after you've read the, the book. But um, yes, Ethel is uh, an ancient camper van and what Joy and, and Len has sort of long dreamed of uh, heading off like a lot of sort of grey nomads. Yes. Although because Joy's hair is uh, a, a shade called classic copper she'd yes. really be a sort of classic classic copper nomad wouldn't she yes um and they've sort of long dreamed about sort of heading off in this sort of rusty old van which now of course now we can't sort of travel overseas are highly sought after i think people are really sort of <laughs> looking <laughs> in old garages and things hoping to find an ethel that they can sort of yes. uh, turn into a, an instant um, holiday yes yeah i'm i'm sorry i misled you there i i didn't really i, I just thought where did the idea come well, with the name Ethel? Because we do, <laughs> we do tend, don't we, to name things like our, a motorbike or, and I know lots of people name their cars. I just hope that when I put the key in the ignition that it starts. I, I've, ne <laughs> I've never named a car, but I just think the, the whole premise of the, uh, of the book is really its warmth. It's the lovely warmth in it. Um, yes, there's conflict, but it's conflict, I think, of people getting 
to know each other, isn't it? You know, because they That's don't right. know. Yeah. yeah. Without conflict, there is no story. Oh no, is no there really. Um, so you know, I, I've always tried to write, you know, warm and uplifting and comforting books. But nobody, you know, there is no story unless there is something. Uh, you know, there is some conflict and that, of course, involves, you know, the pain and sometimes sort of secrets yes. and coming to terms with, with uncomfortable truths and things. But I, what I always sort of aim to do is to sort of make, hopefully make the feel, reader feel better at the end of the book, having gone on this journey. It's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a bumpy journey at, at times through, through the book. Um, and I suppose that perhaps comes from my, you know, day job as a, a doctor is sort of wanting to, make people feel better to sort of make, you know, make them feel listened to. So I've listened to my characters and I've listened to, you know, what all that's wrong in their life and their, their woes, but to try and help them to, to find a way through. And you know, so it's, it's interesting how the two, uh, the two jobs, the two careers are sort of run parallel. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, uh, I, uh, I've done a quite a bit of voluntary work myself and uh, particularly um, at one stage, um, I was uh, attended a little section of the Mater Hospital here just before the, you, you get in, go into the cancer treatment. And uh, I found that people were just so amazing. They treated me first off, first meeting, very suspiciously. What are you doing here? And I said, well, first of all, I can't do anything medical for you, but I've got a good ear and I'll look the the tales that people tell you are are just amazing and i think it's wonderful that you have been able to tap into your career and also the fact that you went into that hospital and the thing was happening your your book was sort of happening there and but everything is warm and relatable there's there's no harshness i don't think uh, in your book, so, you know there are sometimes some some harsh words, particularly between Hillary oh. and her sort of controlling older sister. Yes. And Hillary is a bit of a uh, this is the manageress. She's sort of the stalwart who's been there yes. for years and years and sort of worked her way up through the ranks. And you know perhaps initially her motivation for um, for volunteering wasn't uh, you know the most altruistic, but she's sort of become part of the furniture and she really. Uh, although it's a, it sounds a bit trite, she has a heart of gold, really, and she's just a victim of, of circumstances. But she can be very prickly. She she runs a tight ship, and she's not always very accommodating of, of Joy's sort of clumsiness and perpetual lateness. But yes. you know, this is this is life. You know, this is uh, you know this is observations of of, of the way people are, and um, you know, people are basically a product of their their upbringing and their personality and their circumstances and life isn't always kind doesn't always treat people equally and, and fairly particularly as people age and so I just wanted to reflect that really yeah. just from from my observations of, of people and, and and their lives well I, I think that uh, you've really um, you've really done an amazing job with with Hillary and Nancy I think because it must be very difficult to be in Nancy's situation without giving any of the plot away. But Nancy, you can see, you can f- actually, you can feel the fact that, she, that she's been left behind, mainly of her own doing as well. But also, uh, Hilary, it takes her a while to realise just what Nancy has done. 
You know, I think she's known on a practical level, but not on the emotional level. And I think you've, That's you've right. you know, you've captured that beautifully. Thank you. I, I, she is, Nancy is, is manipulative. She's trying, she's lost everybody in her life, really. And she's a, she's a very lonely woman yes. um, who's really just sort of holding on to her, her bitterness. And, and Hillary sort of has a fall from grace and through no fault of her own becomes a, a homeless. And, you know, interestingly, the, the fastest growing group of homeless people are women over 55. And, you know, women like Hillary, who suddenly lost everything through no fault of her own. And, you know, Nancy is, is pleased to have her back. In one of the earlier drafts, Nancy was actually far more of a, a sinister character. Oh. Like. She was, <laughs> she, uh, you know, she, uh, uh, we sort of, I flirted with the idea of, uh, of having her um, keep Hillary prisoner, uh, you know, physically sort of locking her up. But my, my editor, my, my publisher wasn't too happy with turning her into a, a sociopath. So she said right. she just uses her, uh, you know, more of an emotional manipulation to, to hold on to her, her sister who she fears is about to, uh, you know, sort of leave her uh, again and, and sort of she sort of risks abandonment again. So no, she's, she's using some psychological uh, imprisonment, if you like, some psychological yes. tricks rather yeah. than locking her in the cellar as I originally <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> thought. It was, probably wasn't, to, to, you know, on my, uh, in, in my sort of ground of, of, of <laughs> to, to do that. Your summer stories are available anytime, anywhere. Just download the Newcastle Libraries app and access your summer stories plus thousands just like them today. Well, look, I'm right into crime at the moment. I mean, I've always loved British television uh, with crime. I think uh, it, like things like Shetland and uh, etc. But no, I don't think I would have liked to have found Hillary locked in a basement. <laughs> I would have thought... Joanna, what on earth are you doing? This this is a really. I think I'd have had to have yeah, I'd have to have written that one under a pseudonym. I think. Uh, yes. <laughs> because nobody would believe you. You know, I don't think because your your uh, characters are so human. I think that's what appealed to me that I could relate to Hillary. I could relate to Nancy. In fact, I could relate to all of them and young Chloe, who. Uh, you know, the poor thing, having such amazing parents in their careers. And, I mean, the scene where she um, cuts a finger and there's blood everywhere uh, and her reaction to that, it's so obvious that she has to make a change somewhere um, with her life. And But she was so, so like, I mean, I tutor students through Ronald McDonald House and I Zoom with them at the moment and I have three young people who are really ill and yet they're, inc- they're incredible with their, their willingness to push through. And I think Chloe, once she knows what she's going to do, that's exact. she will be so successful. And I think you've really put that element into her. Thank you. That's lovely to hear. Look, I do have a, a teenage daughter and I keep reassuring her and everybody else that actually, 
this Chloe is not based on my daughter. My daughter has, uh, you know, I've, I've sort of never encouraged her to follow uh, a career in medicine. She's sort of studying history and ancient history. But Chloe has come from a family with two parents, are both successful surgeons, and both her older brothers are also in, successfully in the medical profession. And, and she's typical of, think of a lot of young girls who are people, perhaps people pleasers or, or wanting to yes. you know she's a good girl she mm. works hard uh, and it's been assumed I suppose by everybody including herself that she really will follow on in the, the family trade and, and go to medical school and she's really not spoken up in time and she's really well on her way into that <laughs> career despite as you say, not being well suited, you know, she really doesn't like needles or, or, or blood. And yeah. her interests lie elsewhere. She's very artistic. Yeah. Um, she loves photography and, and art. And I suppose, you know, what I wanted to do there was to explore parental expectation, you know, and and I think that so many kids do feel this sometimes, that particularly if they're, they're fairly academic, that there's a path that, you know, that, that, that is almost chosen for them and schools, uh, you know, almost sort of push them into this it's and and it may not be exactly what what they're most suited to sometimes I think it can take a couple of careers before people really find their, yeah. their fashion and I think the lovely thing is that a lot of young people now are doing very broad degrees or are really sort of thinking for themselves rather than necessarily sort of following a, a path that's been chosen yeah I know that I had um, I had a student once who desperately uh, was an artist but he was very clever and um, and he he just decided um, in year twelve, um, and he just said, "Mrs. Wallace, I have got, I can't stand the conflict at home, so I will do my law degree." And I said, "Okay," but he said, "I will keep my artistic life full, and I know that I can do this law degree, and I but I can also pursue my art." And he does, he has. I just felt sorry for him when he said, then I'll be able to say to my father, all right, I've done your bit, now I'm going to do mine. And I think that's a sadness. Yes. And I think that, you know, there is a, an argument that sort of the education system as it is, it's sort of almost killing that creativity in kids. It's sort of shuffling them into, you know, a, a down a more academic, you know, that success is measured in terms of academic achievement rather than necessarily, a, you know, creativity. So that was just, that was one of the, and, and I was very lucky to have enjoyed my um, career as a, a doctor. But, you know, again, I decided when I was very young before I perhaps had an idea of, of what it entailed and you know I did well academically at school and I sort of not that my parents put any pressure on me but I think it was just assumed that I would 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 go on and, and be a doctor and it's it, I've been doing that for 30 years now and I, I've really enjoyed my career but I found a second career I've always had this sort of unfulfilled part of me which uh, yes. wanted to write and something that I really only realized much later um, in life and I really feel that I have much more balance now that I've given that creativity an outlet and I think it's a shame when when people don't get to to express that inside, that side of themselves as well. Create your own summer stories with Newcastle Libraries through our incredible collections, e-learning resources and summer programs. Find out more at the Newcastle Libraries app or website. I'm in the theatre world in Newcastle and um, and I just feel really sad when I hear Parents particularly say, "Oh, look, there's no, there's not enough money in the uh, in the artistic world, and there isn't." 
but you can't stifle that creativity that you want to express. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be big. It can be very small, but at least it's what your heart wants to do. And I think that's that's what your your book comes out very strongly about the heart and and the emotion and how we need to feed that. We need to feed our creativity as well as our intellect. And I could never understand why the two couldn't ever go together. I mean, and unfortunately, our education system, as you were saying, does that. It just pushes every child to do the HSC. That's right. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, in, in general, there's been very little, um, you know, funding and uh, prioritization of the the arts in in general that's a whole other conversation oh, that is a whole other it, yes. but, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's not get too too political about that no, but, no. Um, I, I yeah um, so I think I think finding that balance is uh, is most people you know it can can do what and I'm very lucky what I can do I, I can do for a living or almost a living what is my passion? I mean, that's, mm. I feel extremely fortunate to be able to say that. Yeah. Well, it makes you the whole person, doesn't it? You know, like it, uh, you must be very interesting to take to a party. Because <laughs> No, I'm terrible to take to a party because I'm a complete introvert. So I'll be the one in the corner hoping that somebody comes along and I can have a really in-depth conversation with them rather than having to go around the room and be the social butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, look, um, I just, uh, have you got another book in your head now or are you having a little bit of a break? Or I'm having a little break, but I am working on a, another manuscript at the moment. In fact, I was until my computer has completely died this morning. So I'm off to the uh, computer repair shop. So there may not be any progress on, on that uh, for a few days. But um, yes, there is another book in the offing so I am just exploring the impact of um, retirement on a professional couple who, who've worked together and now are anyway oh, I won't say more than that I've always no. find it, it very difficult to talk about things it, it yes. certainly loses a little bit of its magic if I if I oh, yes. talk about it too early but yes look there, there is an idea there, there. It, it's coming together so yeah I'd love to be writing again it's, oh, it's fantastic well that'll be fabulous because um, I can recommend this book to anyone who who would like some gentility but also some there are moments when I just burst out laughing at, at different things and that's so I think that's so important particularly with the COVID we have such depressing news and yet the tea ladies are just so delightful you could I think you'll recognize whoever reads this book will recognize these people will recognize the personality and the kindness and the absolute impatience that I felt impatient for Hillary sometimes and uh, and I think Hillary, I, I think she actually became my favourite character. So thank you very much, Joanna, for for talking with me today. It's been it's been fascinating. I've always wanted to write, but I've never ever been game enough to actually do it. So you are wonderful, and people who write are just so amazing. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. With, for what you do as a doctor but also as a as a writer so congratulations and i hope this absolutely flies off the shelf for you 
Oh, well, thank you so much, Nola. It's been really lovely to, to talk to you. Thank you for reading the book and thank you for your lovely, uh, interesting questions. And yes, I hope that it brings a little bit of joy to, to people who might otherwise be feeling a little bit down. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm sure it will be wonderful. Thanks so much for listening to Your Summer Story series by Newcastle Libraries Real. Turn the page on our next podcast or go back to our original Your Summer Story season with authors like Trent Dalton, Craig Sylvie, Steve Conti, Tia Cooper and more. Thanks to Newcastle Libraries Real. Thanks for listening to Your Summer Stories from Newcastle Libraries. Why not take a dip and a sip, then rate and review us wherever you listen.